Well, that's a little recap from uh, yesterday's Beautifully Redeemed. It was a women's one-day retreat conference type of thing going on there, and uh, it was a great time. Heard some really good reports back. Uh, they had 85 women here, and uh, Kim and her team did a, a great job. And I know some of the guys were even here trying to get things together for them and helping them out, and Jason and Mark and Clark were here doing that. And they tried to make it a little bit more warm and cozy. They chained up the seating on us and put this here. We thought, well, we'll just keep it for this morning. So hopefully it's a little bit of a different look for you. You guys seem a little closer to me, which makes me a little nervous, but uh, that's okay. I'll, I, think I'll, I think I'll work through it. Uh, okay. But, um, so here's a question for you. What, what do you do when Jesus is late? Meaning when you uh, are praying for something, you're wanting something from God, and, and he doesn't seem to to answer that prayer, or doesn't seem to be coming along. It's, it's, you're waiting and waiting. You know he could easily answer the request, right? I mean, he's God. He, and your ideas, my ideas, are far better than his. And so you'd think he would take our thoughts into consideration. Uh, you ever wonder why he does something like that? Why would he wait to give your answer, to respond the way you want him to respond? And let me ask you this, if you knew that God had a good reason for why he's waiting or not answering the way you want him to answer, could you trust him? Could you just kind of wait and, and let him operate and do what he wants to do, no matter, no matter what his timing was? We'll go ahead and turn to John chapter 11, it's page 1073, um, and this is a, a chapter where, as we're going through the Gospel of John, where Jesus doesn't seem to do what it is some very close friends of his want him to do. And so we're going to see this biblical truth play out as we go through uh, this chapter this morning. And, and this is the biblical truth, that Jesus is only late in how we judge time. His timing is perfect, and always for, our, or for his glory and always for our growth. So it, it's a, we think he's late, but it's only because of how we view things, how we want things. So we've left Jesus over on the right side of the screen there. He's on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, that's where he was last chapter and where he is at the beginning of this chapter. And while he's there, he's gonna, he gets word from Mary and Martha that their uh, brother Lazarus is sick. Now they're giving him that information, no doubt, because they know he can heal. And so they want him to heal Lazarus. And so they give this information. One, again, we're not going to read all these verses of this chapter, so I'm summarizing some of this. And so I'm summarizing the, the very first verses. John clarifies something so we understand who Mary is, because there's a, a confusion sometimes that people put into Scripture. So he's clarifying for us that this Mary is the Mary who is going to wash. Jesus' feet, anoint his feet with oil, and wash his feet with her hair. Now, you might be thinking, what? That sounds weird. It, it does sound weird. You'll have to come back next week. We'll explain why she's doing that. It's not as weird as you might think. Um, so anyways, he's saying, hey, listen, this is the Mary who washed Jesus' feet. It's going to happen in John chapter 12. He's reminding us who are reading this. Uh, Matthew also refers to this situation, doesn't name her, but it's the same individual. Uh, Mark also does this. 
Luke references a similar situation, um, and they described the woman as an immoral woman uh, who does the same or similar thing that Mary does. They're not the same individual. And so John wants us to understand that Mary, this Mary is not the immoral woman of Luke um, 7 that uh, Luke references. Anyways, just for a clarification there, again, there's been some confusion. Um, so Jesus gets this report that Lazarus is sick, and here's what he says, which is kind of unusual. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. So it's going to end in the glory of God, and so that the Son of God may be glorified. So the disciples are probably thinking, Oh good, Lazarus is not going to die. This is, this is good. He's just kind of sick. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, what did he do? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, anybody think that's kind of weird? If we hear that a friend of ours or a family member is sick, and they say, hey, your friend or family member is sick, we'd probably rush over to see what we could do, or at least somehow reach out. Now, Jesus, he waits two more days. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, which is where Jerusalem is. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? Again, seems like a reasonable question. Why would he want to go get killed? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now this is a Jewish proverb. It's similar to what he said in John 9. It's kind of funny. My dad... Um, He's no longer with us anymore. He's in heaven, but um, he's from Nor- he was from Norway. And so he, sometimes he would tell us jokes or have Norwegian sayings. And then he would explain what they were in English. It would make no sense because, you know, it's something wrong in translation. This is kind of one of those situations. Basically, what Jesus is saying is this. Um, I'm only here for so long. And so once I'm gone, I can't do the work, at least in physical form, he can't do the work that he's going to be doing. So he needs to do that while it's still day. In other words, while he's still here. So uh, again, just a quick explanation, or kind of a long-winded thing that Jesus said there. But um, this he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. So you can tell the disciples are going, what? The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. In other words, hey, if he's just asleep and he's going to get better and, and wake up, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to die. This is all good. We can stay over here and be safe. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death. They thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, if you're paying attention, Jesus said it's not going to end in death. But now it is ending in death. What's, what's the issue? You know, what, why would he be saying this? And then not only that, he says, I am glad. He's glad that Lazarus died. Man, this doesn't sound like the warm, fuzzy Jesus that we all kind of used to, right? I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, in, this, in their case, continue to believe, or grow in their belief, but let us go to him. Therefore, Thomas, doubting Thomas as we call him, who is called Didymus, said, to his fellow disciples, let us also go so we may die with him. So it's kind of like Eeyore, right? Okay, Jesus is dying. I guess we'll go die with him. You know, that type of, that type of thing. So anyways, 
So Jesus gets this information. He says, hey, it's not, it's not going to end in death. And then he ends up dying. Jesus waits two whole days longer after he heard about Lazarus being sick. He says, now let's go down to Judea. The disciples are like, no, we don't want to do that because if we do that, you're going to get killed. That's what the religious leaders have been saying they're going to do to you. Jesus says, no, I've got to do it. I've got to do what God's called me to do. I know you guys are scared and you're afraid for me, but I'm, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. And not only that, but I'm glad this is all happening because you're going to be able to grow in your, your faith. You're going to be, become stronger believers in me and what I can do. And so as we read, Thomas says, well, okay, I guess we'll just all go together and die. So by the time Jesus arrives in the area, so he heads back in that direction, probably a one or two day trip, Lazarus has been in a tomb for four days by now. So he has died, he's been put into the tomb, he's been laying in there. Where John tells us that there's a bunch of religious leaders who are friends with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, and so they're there, and they're trying to console and comfort them because of the loss of um, of Lazarus. Martha knows that Jesus is coming by now, so then she, but she also knows the religious leaders are after Jesus, so she sneaks out and she catches up with Jesus on his way in to Bethany. So he's not quite in town yet, he's out on the road, and they have this conversation. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, again, she's knowing some good Old Testament teaching, said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. And he's talking about that spiritual life. And we've been talking about as we've gone through John, that having this, we're all spiritually dead without Christ. Those who place their faith in Christ, Jesus says that they get spiritual life given to them through God the Holy Spirit, even if he dies. So if you die physically, you have put your faith in Christ, you'll live spiritually. And everyone who lives or is alive physically and believes in me will never die. They'll, they'll never ever have that spiritual death again, and they won't spend eternity uh, in hell. And then he asks her, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So uh, they had this conversation, and, and she's saying, hey, now she's not upset with Jesus. She's not you know, berating him in any way. She's just saying, hey, listen, I know that if you had been here in time, if, you know, if things would have been different, you would have been here, and you would have been able to to heal Lazarus, because everything you ask, God gives you. And, and I know that you are from God, and, and he would have done this. But Jesus wants her to connect here. And so he's going to ask her a question, but he wants to connect uh, something for her, or he wants her to connect. And that is, what God will do at the end, raising people from the dead, those going to heaven, that Jesus can do now. In other words, he wants her to connect that he is, in fact, God. That's his whole purpose in having this conversation. So he wants her then to express her belief that, that he is God. She believes that he is God, the one who gives spiritual life and also raises people from the dead. So he asks her, you know, do you believe that those who believe in Jesus have spiritual life even after, uh, even after they die physically? And do you believe those who receive 
spiritual life from Jesus while alive will not spend eternity in hell. They will spend eternity in heaven. So he's, do you believe this? And she says, yes, I, I believe. In fact, I, I have believed that. Since you've come, I believe that you are um, our God and can do these things. So then she sneaks back into the house, because again, she knows what's going on with the religious leaders. So she, she sneaks back in the house. She finds Mary. She kind of whispers to her in the kitchen, you know, hey, Jesus wants to see you. So then Mary takes off, and she sneaks out. Problem is, the religious leader, she evidently isn't as quiet getting out or whatever. Religious leaders know something's going on, but they see her leave. They think she's going to the tomb, so they follow her. So imagine their surprise when they think they're going to the tomb, but Mary shows up or ends up walking up to Jesus, who's standing where Mary or Martha has left him, and they have this conversation. So therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet. So now she does this physical demonstration. He doesn't have to ask her, do you believe? She's doing this physical demonstration that she believes this is God because she's worshiping him. She's bowing before him, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, what Martha had said. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, now this is a word that means loud wailing. All right? And the Jews who came with her, the religious leaders also came with her, also weeping. So there's this loud wailing, a procession of people moving outside of Bethany, just loudly wailing and crying and making a huge commotion. He, speaking of Jesus, was deeply moved. Now, in the Greek, this literally means snort like a horse. So you've ever been moved to the point of snorting? Yeah, you have. Don't even, don't even start. Yeah. I've heard some of you. No, I'm just kidding. So snorting like a horse. It actually has, figuratively, it means to be angry or frustrated. That's kind of a, a weird emotion for Jesus to have, right? We'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. So he's deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. So Jesus then, as they're moving, he weeps. Now this word means to quietly burst into tears. This is a, this is a personal uh, time where Jesus is just you know, basically bawling his eyes out over the fact that Lazarus is dead. And we'll talk about why he might be doing that. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man, these people a little more cynical, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Which is, you know, really it's a good question to ask. I mean, here's this guy who was able to heal a blind man. I don't know if they knew it or not, but he healed the guy from a distance. You know, he just spoke it and it happened. And so they're trying to figure out what is going on here. So after Mary worships him and, and has a conversation with him, there's all this weeping going on and, and wailing going on. And it, it talks about Jesus being deeply moved in trouble. Now, why would Jesus have this other emotion where he's angry or he's frustrated? And so as scholars have kind of you know, worked through it here, um, it could be one or the other, and I think it's probably both. One is that he's frustrated and irritated with what sin has done to our world. Because sin in general, you know, we all commit sin, which makes us um, separated from God. But sin, that decision that was made by Adam and Eve, then has penetrated our, our world. That's why we have germs. That's why we have death and disease. And so he's, he's upset with uh, what sin does. It, it, it causes people to die. And then there's all this emotion that's with that and all this hurt feelings and, and just people missing these individuals. And so he, he's upset about that and frustrated by what sin has done. It could also be that he's um, 
upset with the fact that they seem all, all seem so hopeless. Because really, people who have placed their faith in Christ, when they die, they go into God's presence. That's, that's where they're going to be for eternity. That's an awesome place to be. That's what we're all longing for, those who have placed our faith in Christ. And so he could be frustrated and irritated with the fact that they seem so hopeless. Uh, they should have confidence that Lazarus, who trusted in Christ, would be one who would be in heaven. And in Jesus weeping, again, it's that it's opposite of loud wailing. It's just kind of this personal, intimate um, bursting into tears. And it shows that it shows his humanity. You know, Jesus is God and he's man. And sometimes we, we struggle with catching the man side of him. We see the miracles and his teaching and all that, but here he's identifying um, with his, his concern, concern for Lazarus dying and the emotions and all that had gone on uh, with him dying. Well, John tells us that as the crowd moves towards the tomb, these religious leaders are wondering, some are believing in him, um, which is awesome, but others are wondering why in the world he didn't heal him and why he kept why he didn't keep them from having this pain? I mean, here he is crying. You could have kept all this from happening. When they arrived, Jesus says, hey, go ahead and remove the stone. Martha, she's like, oh, wait a second. He's been in there for four days, and so there's going to be you know, pretty bad smell of death going on. Anybody ever have a mouse dying in their, in their house? Okay, well, imagine a person. And I know some people have had to deal with that, sadly, but she's saying, hey, listen, there's going to be there's going to be a smell coming out of there. I don't know if you really want to, want to do this. So then Jesus turns to her and says this, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? In other words, uh, are, are you going to let a little discomfort keep you from, you know, maybe some smell in your nose and keep you from seeing what God wants to do? So they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But... Because of the people standing around, I said it, so they may believe that you sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you know, obviously God, I'm God. We, we know what's going on. I'm, I'm praying so that everybody else understands that I am sent from God. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And so... You just kind of have to imagine this. It's not like how we do funerals. This guy is all wrapped up, and he's, you know, he's going to try to, well, I guess his hands are up here probably, you know. So he's going to come out, and people, I'm sure, are freaking out, right, to see that. Jesus said to him, which was really nice of him, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus prays. He commands Lazarus to come forth. Lazarus receives his life back into his body. His spirit returns Lazarus comes shuffling out, all bound up in these wrappings of death. Can you imagine what's going on? I mean, the people who were left there, so I'm sure people, some people took off. But the fear in some people's hearts, the, the joy in his sister's hearts, the unbelief, maybe the excitement, all these people standing around. It's, it's no wonder that some of these religious leaders then finally put their faith and belief in who Jesus was, the claim that he was from God. It's, it's also no wonder that some of them went back to tell the religious leaders back in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the priests, because what was happening is Jesus was back, and it wasn't just healing people. Now he's brought somebody back to life. This can't be good. In fact, the chief priests they, they, and the Pharisees, they get together and they call a meeting. 
And here's what their concern was. Again, you can read it for yourself. But their concern was that if, if Jesus continues to do this, and people begin to follow him more and more, he's going to get all of Israel to follow him, and then there's going to be a revolt, and then Rome's going to come in, and what their concern was, I, I quoted it here, is that they would take away our place and our nation. So the religious leaders, what they were concerned about, if Jesus continues to get people leading him, then they're going to lead or take a revolt because you know, basically Israel wanted to be back in control of themselves. They didn't want Rome controlling them. And so if they do that, now we're not going to have power anymore. We're not going to be in control anymore because Rome's coming in. And they're going to take away our control, our power, and then they're going to take away our nation. Well, Holy Spirit then tells us what happened in their meeting that they had back in Jerusalem. It says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. So they talked about this concern they have, and he's like, you guys don't even know what's going on here. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient, a good thing for you, that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish, which kind of sounds like what Jesus is going to do, right? So John clarifies for us, now he, speaking of Caiaphas, did not say this on his own initiative. God was at work, in other words. God was going to be doing a message within the message, if you can kind of put it that way. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, which we know now as we read through John that he will eventually die. So the prophecy came true. But not for why he said it was. It says, and not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered, uh, scattered abroad. So Jesus' death would keep Rome from coming in because the people wouldn't follow and wouldn't have this revolt and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's great, but it's more than that. It's, it's so that sin doesn't defeat mankind. So that man can have their sin removed and have this relationship where they can have uh, become a child of God. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Now the religious leaders had their reasons for killing him, and um, God had his reasons for allowing him to die. So the religious leaders always seemed to be concerned about what was going on in this world, what was happening in front of them, the power that they had, the control that they had in this world, the, the here and now. God's always concerned, though, about what's going to happen after this world, because eternity is much longer than the few years we live on this earth. And when the, when the end comes, there's going to be two options according to Scripture, and that is either eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And we know, because as we go through John, the reason why John wrote was that we might know we have eternal life, that we have our sins forgiven by God, His presence in us through God the Holy Spirit, and spiritually alive so we can spend eternity with Him. So Caiaphas makes his prediction. So Jesus, knowing that they've all decided they're going to kill him, he takes off to the north, all right? Uh, he gets out of Dodge. He goes up to a place called um, Ephraim, and he waits there until the Passover, which is coming up soon. But meanwhile, in Jerusalem, we have this going on. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they, speaking of the religious leaders, were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? 
that he will not come to the feast at all. See, again, Jesus was always showing up. Whenever there was a feast, Jesus came to Jerusalem. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so they might seize him. So they want to grab hold of Jesus. They want to bring him in. They want to kill Jesus as soon as he comes to Jerusalem. So the question is, is he going to show up for the Passover? What do you think? He's going to show up or is he going to skip? We have to come back next week. Find that out. Uh, or you can read ahead, which again, you should always be reading ahead. That's always a good thing. So, what we want to do as we close out chapter 11 before we get into chapter 12 next week, just some takeaways, some things that we can pull from this, having to do with this whole thing about God's timing and, and answering our prayers. And the first one is this. That is that Jesus, or God's timing, is not our timing. His timing is perfect. So whatever the situation in your life is, whatever it is you're praying through and asking God to you know, work on, or whatever, whatever that might be, you have to understand his timing is perfect. Psalm 18.30 says this, As for God, his way, which includes his timing, is blameless. It's without sin or it's perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. In other words, it's been put to the test. It's found true. You can trust it. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. And of course, the key there is that we have to be in him for him to be a shield for us. So here's the deal when it comes to God's timing. First of all, God is sovereign, which is a big word, which means that not only does God, can God control things, he can actually dictate things to happen, but he allows us to operate within our free will. So we can make choices, but he's powerful enough to be able to work even within our choices that we make. And as we make choices, he can move things and direct things and order things so that whatever happens, his plan happens. And again, his ultimate plan is that at the end of time, those who have placed their faith in Christ will spend eternity in heaven. Those who choose to reject his offer, they'll spend, his, they'll spend their eternity in hell. And so he's doing everything he can in order to show who he is, and he's doing it to draw people to him for salvation and for those people to grow. And so he, he does all this. But the cool thing is that he could take all of our lives and intermingle our lives too together to make that happen. It's just it's mind-boggling when you think about it. But, but during his, this time of waiting, what is it that we should be doing? Is it, and so I put down here, we need to be actively waiting and trusting. What do I mean by that? Well, we're not going to get into a bunch of Bible verses this morning. But actively waiting and trusting is not us wringing our hands, uh, telling God how much we're worried, how, how scared we are, how upset we are, and how much we can't believe he's not moving, and how much he's you know, directing, and all that kind of stuff. One of the phrases we have around here now is, Lord knows. And so we keep reminding each other, Lord knows. He knows what our needs are. He knows what he's doing. He knows when his timing is. And so like his disciples, we should spend time with him. Because as, as the disciples spent time with him, they saw Jesus do what he did, their faith grew, which we'll talk about here in a bit. But they would, they would spend time with Jesus. The way we do that is by being in his word. And his word is tried. It's, it's true. It's been shown over the centuries that what God says to do, how God says to operate, when we do that, then the things that God says are going to happen will happen. The promises that he gives us will be given to us. He said it's a shield. It protects us against the things that may impact us, the things that we bring up, the discouragement that we have, the fear, anxiety, lack of trust, believing the lies that we tell ourselves, that God's late, God's not hearing me, God's not paying attention. 
And God's word is what shields us from those things. So why does he make us wait? Why did he allow Lazarus to go through the pain of suffering of dying? They, don't, they didn't die like we have people die today. Why did they let him go through? Why did Martha and Mary and all her friends have to go through the emotional strain of seeing him die and, and not have him around for those four days? Why does he do that to us? The things that we go through. Well, Jesus gives the answer, and it's that he does everything for his glory and our growth. Look what he says in 11.4. He says, but when Jesus, again, we read this, but when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness... So Lazarus' physical and emotional struggle, the sister's emotional struggle, everything that was going on is not to end in death. Why? It's for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And so the first thing that God wants to do in our situations, he wants to glorify himself. What does that word mean? It's a good Christianese word. To glorify means to reveal himself, to show himself, to show who he is, what his character is, what his attributes are, how he operates. All the different ways that he can meet our needs and bring people into our lives to meet our needs. Just the awesome way that he operates and moves. It's God revealing himself. It's, it's God glorifying himself. John MacArthur, he's a pastor and an author. He says this, that the most important theme in the universe is the glory of God. It is the underlying reason for all of God's works. From the creation of the world to the redemption of fallen sinners to the judgment of unbelievers, even those... Even those who don't choose to put their faith in Christ, who spend an eternity in hell, that is a sense of glorifying who he is, revealing who he is. What's that revealing? He's just, and he's loving. So he's going to deal with the sin, but he's also loving. He's not going to force people into a relationship with him. Certainly not going to force them to spend an eternity with him. They didn't want to spend time with him here on this earth. To the manifestation, go back, go back, thank you. To the manifestation of which is showing us his greatness for all eternity in heaven. And so he glorifies himself. He wants to reveal who he is. And through our time of waiting, and through our time of praying and asking God and, and asking him to respond the way we want him to respond, then in that we grow in our belief. We, we grow in our trust and our faith in him. Look what he says in uh, 14 and 15 again. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why? So that you may believe. But then let us go to him. So what he, these guys had already placed their faith in Christ. They already believed that he was God. They were already in a relationship with him. However you want to phrase it. And, but Jesus was glad that this was happening because he wanted them to grow in their belief. He wanted them to become more confident. Them to become more confident in who he was and how he operates and so he allows us to go through difficult times. He allows us to experience the pain and frustrations of life. So as we spend time with him and we see him operate and move, comforting us and then meeting our needs, we'll grow in our trust of him. We'll grow in our understanding of him. And then the final reason Jesus gives for, for waiting is that ultimately he wanted to give Martha and Mary the opportunity to express their saving belief in Jesus. And so there are things in your life that he's allowing because he wants you to do the same. Look, look what he says to, um, to Martha anyways, because obviously Mary demonstrated. So he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and life. He who believes in me will live. They'll have spiritual life and eternal life, 
even if they die physically. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. In other words, they won't ever die spiritually again because they have spiritual life. They won't spend eternity in heaven. Then he says, do you believe this? And so God's allowing those of you who don't know him to go through what you're going through because he wants you to be drawn to him. He wants you to know that he's the one who gives eternal life, that he's the one who forgives your sin. He's the one who places God the Holy Spirit in your life, who gives you spiritual life. And so then you would spend eternity with him. And so he says, do you believe? And that's the question he's asking you this morning. And as the band comes back up, just want to work through um, this with you real quickly. So if you're here this morning and, and you don't know for sure you have eternal life, you don't know if you were to die today that you would spend eternity in heaven. The whole reason we're going through John, the whole reason why John wrote this is that we might know we have eternal life, and it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And that process is that we just have a conversation with God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you, that I've sinned against you, broken your laws. But I also now know that Jesus, we're going to see this in a few weeks, that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He took your judgment for me. And by believing that, God says, I'll forgive your sins. I'll place God the Holy Spirit. I'll adopt you into my family. You can become a child of God. And so during this song, as we close out, that's a conversation you need to have with God. I would encourage you to do that. It's just your heart to God's heart. You having a conversation with God and expressing those things to Him. And if you do, I would love to know about it. I'll be out in the lobby. Feel free to come up and let me know that you've trusted in Christ. Uh, or if that's too scary, because I know I'm, I'm a little nervous, you know, a little scary. But you know, you fill it out on a Connect card, put your name down, and mark on the back that you trusted in Christ today. We'd love to be able to pray for you and appreciate knowing that. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close with this song.